Welcome to episode number 253. In today's episode, I'm going to be sharing with you the items that I recommend keeping on hand in your pantry so that one, it's always stocked, and two, you've got what you need to make a variety, and I mean a variety of different meals and foods for your family without needing to run to the store. I'm also going to share the items that we normally always do keep a back stock in hand. I realize that the way that we live as modern homesteaders and someone who has always lived very rurally where you didn't always have a grocery store close by or your trips were limited, that we keep a pantry stocked at a level that not a lot of people do unless you're really focused on becoming self-sufficient. So I'm going to give you a list of the items that we keep on hand as well as amounts. And then I'm also going to share where we upped what we keep on hand in light of the coronavirus and the pandemic and the stay at shelter at home and place different orders that people are experiencing. We are one of those places here in Washington state that is dealing with that. And also talk about some of the spots that I noticed we kind of had some holes or I'd gotten a little bit lax in our food storage. So if we haven't met before, welcome. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I'm the best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, Grow and Raise a Year's Worth of Healthy Food for Your Family, and the book Handmade, which has over 100 old-fashioned from-scratch recipes in it, including tips from the Great Depression. And this is the place where we talk about all things homegrown and homemade and how you can do the exact same thing no matter where you live. So I'm so pleased to meet you and have you join me here today. Now, as I mentioned, this is kind of a part two. So if you missed part one, you'll want to go and check that out. It's episode number 252. And that's where I talk about what we're doing differently this year as far as raising our own food and upping our food production in light of the coronavirus and everything that's going on in the world at this time. But today I've had a lot of people ask me, over the past few weeks about what we keep stocked in our pantry and what are items and a list that they can keep stocked in their pantry. Now, of course, this is going to depend on availability of supplies, but I feel like a lot of stores are able to keep things in stock now or are getting things in stock. So hopefully that's the case. But the number one, well, I shouldn't say the number one thing, one of the most versatile things and one of the things that I consider the most important is going to be flour. The reason I say that is because I can use flour as a base for so many different homemade things. Now, the type of flour is going to vary. For some of you, that might be a gluten-free blend. For others, it's going to be just regular all-purpose. I do stock some all-purpose organic unbleached flour in the house. For others, that might be einkorn, it might be spelt. A lot, some of you, it will be ancient grains. And for some of you, that might be in the form of actual grains or wheat berries because you grind your own flour. And I kind of am a mixture of all of those things. So I normally always keep at least 20 pounds of flour on hand in my back pantry 
and that doesn't include the canister that I keep in the kitchen that I'm cooking and baking from. I usually always kept about, kind of varying, about 25 to 50 pounds of wheat berries on hand because I would normally buy them in a 25 pound bag. So it would just kind of depend on where I was at with my stock on those wheat berries. And I always practice rotation. So I'm always rotating through our food so that we're using the oldest stuff first um, and keeping that stock well rotated. But I have to tell you, that I had gotten a little bit lax, I don't know why the word lax sounds better than lazy, but it does, <laughs> on the items in our food storage and having my backups. So when we first started to see the coronavirus here in Washington state, and there were some counties away from me that were starting to stay at home and shelter in place before it actually hit our county, I started making sure that I had my backup stock. And I have to say, I have a new minimum because I was very surprised, honestly, at how fast things transitioned and moved and things were either sold out of stock or orders were put into place where, you know, you might not be able to get to the store. Honestly, I was very surprised at how fast it moved. And if you are in some of those states and areas that are experiencing that, it's probably the same for you too. So it really made me aware of that I needed to keep do a better job of keeping a minimum threshold on hand inside my pantry. So ideally, 50 pounds of flour is what I want on hand. Now this is already ground, so store-bought flour. I have a mixture of, like I said, that organic, unbleached, all-purpose flour, as well as some bread flour. So that's my new minimum, 50 pounds. Then when it comes to my wheat berries, I am trying to keep that between 50 and 100 pounds. And that varies because I use different wheat berries. I've got in-depth podcasts and YouTube videos on grinding your own flour, where to buy grains in bulk, which flours are best for baking and cooking, and which grains are best. Because when you're grinding your own fresh ground flour, it's not like you just pick a wheat berry and say, I'm going to grind this and it's going to be the same as all-purpose or flour. It really is a different game. It's completely worth it. Oh, is it worth it? But it's, it's, very, it's different. So I keep spelt on hand, my spelt grains. So I'm keeping a minimum of 25 pounds of spelt grains on hand. And that's what I use more as my fresh ground pastry flour. I also have, I think it's 15 pounds of einkorn, ancient grain einkorn on hand. That one you kind of use as a pastry flour, but honestly, einkorn is its own... It's its own thing. <laughs> like the way that you alter recipes and you cook with einkorn is different either, even than with spelt. So I can't even say that I really use einkorn as a pastry flour like I do spelt. It's just it's in its own category, but it's a fabulous ancient grain for many, many reasons. And if you haven't listened to my podcast talking about einkorn specifically, and why it's so awesome. I will have linked in the show notes for today as well as the blog post that accompanies this episode. So you can find that at melissaknorris.com forward slash 253, just the number 253, because this is episode number 253. And I have the written out blog post with links to all of these different things that I'm mentioning. So you can go and check out those resources. But specifically, you can go and check out the Ancient Grain Einkorn Health and Baking Guide. And that is episode number 111. And I'm now keeping 75 pounds of organic hard white wheat. 
Like I said, I have got resources on where to buy grains in bulk because it's different places for all of those. So you can go in and snag those in the show notes. But I had gotten down when it first started. I was down to like, I think I still had 20 pounds of all-purpose flour on hand, but I was down to like, I think I only had about 25 pounds of wheat berries. And that was putting all of the different kinds of wheat berries together that I had on hand. So I had gotten really lax with that. The other thing that I had gotten lax on was not having on hand dried beans. Now I've got all of my fresh green beans canned up and all of my seed beans and I had some of the dried beans that we had grown and raised, but I didn't have very much dried beans on hand, which was almost comical when this hit because that's a lot of what can people consider staple foods and we're going and getting. And the reason for that is so they are so versatile Beans, as far as a nutrition standpoint from both protein and carbohydrates, they're an excellent source that way for calories to feed a family, but I didn't have very much. So I now am well stocked on my dried beans as well as like lentils and split peas, all of those things that you can turn into soups for a main dish or a side dish or use to stretch out some different cuts of meat and vegetables. So we are now restocked on that. So if I'm giving you my list, (laughs) those were the areas that I had run low on and that we weren't doing very well and we weren't very well stocked on. So that's kind of why I started with those. But if you have got flour, you can turn that into a variety of things. If you have flour and water, you can make your own yeast in the form of sourdough. So you can create a sourdough starter and continue to feed that. And out of that, then you can make all of your bread without having to find store-bought yeast at the stores. Because as many people are noticing and running into, there's hardly any store-bought yeast to be found at the stores. Now, I already had store-bought yeast. I buy it in a, in a large bulk bag from Costco. It's just a big bag and I store it in the fridge so it extends its shelf life. You can also store it in the freezer so that it stays active longer. Yeast will expire and then it just really doesn't do its job. Nothing will raise. It, it dies basically. So if you've got flour and water, you can make a sourdough starter. And if you're wanting to learn how to do that, I have a free series walking you through every step of creating a sourdough starter, including gluten-free, ancient grains, fresh ground flour, or just regular flour from the store. And I've discovered over the years of dealing with sourdough starters, the best practices so that it stays active and it doesn't get too sour. My kids don't like it super sour, (laughs) neither do I, and I need it to be really active because if your sourdough starter is not very active, it is not going to raise bread and you're gonna be sorely disappointed with flat, dense bread. So you can go and get that at melissakinoris.com forward slash learn sourdough. But then like I said, with that flour and water, you can turn it into so many things. I've got bread recipes. If you've got yeast, flour, and water, and a little bit of salt, then you can create a bunch of no-need artisan breads. And then if you just add in the addition of a little bit of fat, so that could be melted butter, coconut oil, whatever type of cooking oil you have on hand. I like avocado oil personally. If you've got eggs, then you can make some more of those enriched breads and, and enriched products that have got those fat sources in there. I guess I shouldn't say enriched because if you're using your eggs and stuff, then it's not been enriched, but that's got that fat in there and it creates a different texture and gives you a lot more versatility. So for a well-stocked pantry, flour, some fat sources, 
I like some things that are shelf stable that don't require refrigeration, but I'm not giving up my butter. So I buy butter. I've always bought butter in bulk. I never buy just one thing of butter and I store it in the freezer. Butter stores wonderfully in the freezer for a pretty long period of time. I'm sure I've had some butter in there that's been at least six months, if not longer. So that's one place where I do put my freezer to use because you cannot can butter at home. I don't care what you've seen on YouTube or Pinterest. It is not safe to do. Don't do it. And then I can a lot of the other things that are safe. So I've got some room in my freezer for my extra butter. But any type of fat source, so coconut oil, like I said, avocado oil, olive oil, those are ones that we stock and keep on hand. And aside from tallow and lard, when we butcher once a year, fat sources aren't something that is very easy for us to get or to grow at home. So I highly recommend I have backups of everything by at least one. So I keep the, and this is something I've always done. This is not anything new with the coronavirus, but something I actually even, I when able, we got two backups instead of just one backup. So I keep the open bottle in the kitchen that I'm cooking with and using with on a regular routine basis. And then I have the one to replace it in my back pantry. And so then when it was time to replace it, then I would be like, okay, and it would go on the shopping list so that I always had one full one in the house or almost full, and then I have the replacement behind it. Now, my goal is to have two of those items on the shelf just in case. And that's going to take us, depending on how fast you go through something, but usually that's going to take us at least six months of that item. And hopefully by that six-month period, this will have all been a distant memory. Salt is another item. I actually purchased salt in a ten-pound bucket, and it's the Redmond Sea Salt. So I will link to that in the blog post that you can grab with this episode if you want to check that out. Uh, one, because I don't have a salt source here on the homestead or really anywhere th- that I know of to go and get it locally, and use salt obviously for seasoning. You need salt in your diet. Now, some people are on low sodium for different health reasons, but you still need some measure of salt. And then I use it for my preserving. So I use salt in my ferments when I'm doing my fermentations, as well as doing a lot of my herb salts, which is how I preserve my fresh herbs, especially things like basil. And I've got different resources. So you can go and check that out if you want to learn how to do those and and use those recipes and tutorials as well. So salt is something that I keep on hand as a minimum. And then, of course, there is rice and dried beans. Like I already mentioned, the dried beans, but the rice. Another thing that I keep on hand is popcorn. Now, (laughs) we just happen to love popcorn. It is definitely a comfort food. It's something that we look forward to having. We have it usually, we have movie night once a week, sometimes twice a week. And so we definitely keep popcorn on hand. So I have quite a bit of popcorn on hand. (laughs) That was, I think right now I've got about 20 pounds of popcorn on hand and we live in a fairly small home. So we live in a manufactured home. It's a double wide. So I don't have a ton of storage. We don't have a garage. I don't have a basement. I don't have a root cellar. And so let me tell you, you can pack quite a bit in when you get creative. Some of the other items that I wanted to make sure that we were stocked up on and had quite a bit on hand is cocoa powder. We love chocolate. Oh my goodness, do we love chocolate. That and chocolate chips. So I needed to make sure that we had bulk cocoa powder on hand. I usually buy it in a 10 pound bag and that I actually get off Amazon as well. I don't get all my groceries off Amazon. It kind of sounds like it at this point, but there's some things that I don't really find in bulk that I can find in bulk off of Amazon. And so I get those there. And that happens to be my cocoa powder. 
my chocolate chips, I only buy organic chocolate chips because of the soy that's found in a lot of chocolate chips. And if we're going to consume soy, I want to make sure it's organic and non-GMO certified. I actually usually get my chocolate chips. Kind of the best deal that I have found has been Fred Meyers in their I think they're actually now grouped together. They kind of redid their store about a year ago, but on, in their natural food section, they have a brand of chocolate chips that I can usually get on, at a really good deal, cheaper than I found elsewhere for organic. And I try to always have about eight, eight bags, usually, on hand of that. Sugar. I know. We don't love that we eat sugar, but most of us Sometimes I do keto, and when I'm doing keto, then I'm not doing sugar. I'm using some other type of um, non, or I should say low glycemic sugar, and that's usually in the form of either monk fruit, stevia, or erythritol. But sugar is something that I do use when I'm doing my regular baking, and it's something that is easy to have on hand. Try to keep it at a minimum, but I got to tell you, when you are doing your comfort baking, (laughs) your comfort cooking, sugar is a really good thing to have on hand. And I also do use, most of my jam and jelly recipes are low sugar and have a small amount, but when I'm canning my fruit and my jams and jellies, I do use a low sugar variation, but I am using a little bit of sugar in those. I don't use raw honey, though I keep raw honey on hand when I'm canning because the heat that you have to have to can and for it to be safe is going to destroy all of the wonderful properties in your honey. And raw honey is expensive and I don't want to waste it in a product that is being cooked like it is when it's canning and then destroys all of the benefits of the raw honey to begin with because it's not any lower on at that point you might as well just use the regular sugar and i'm already doing it as a low sugar option in my canning recipes so i definitely keep sugar on hand i usually keep about 20 pounds of sugar on hand so that if i get to canning season and it's when all of our fruits coming on and i couldn't replace it that i would at least have enough to take me through canning season the other things that i wanted to make sure that we were stocked up on and had enough of was baking powder and baking soda baking soda can be used for a number of different things but in your baking, a leavening agent is something that comes in really handy. (laughs) And it's not something I can use sourdough, of course, to do my bread. So I don't need yeast. And in regular like sandwich bread and artisan loaves, I'm not using baking powder or baking soda. But for other items like the chocolate sourdough quick bread, which is on my blog, I can have a link to you for that. Those type of recipes, pancakes and waffles, I'm going to be using either baking soda and or baking powder, sometimes both depending upon the recipe. So I wanted to make sure that we were well stocked on that. And I had a hard time actually finding in the store baking soda. Baking powder I could get pretty easily, but baking soda was a little bit harder to find. The other thing I made sure that we were stocked up on is apple cider vinegar and store-bought apple cider vinegar, even though I do make my own at home. But talking about canning, so at the time of this recording, it's April, and I know that I start doing pickled asparagus in May, and you have to use store-bought vinegar when you're canning because it has to be 5% acidity in order to make sure that your canning recipes are safe, especially your pickling recipes. So I purchased extra. The only organic vinegar that I can find is apple cider. So even though it's raw apple cider vinegar and it's organic, and if I'm canning, I'm killing the benefits of it being raw. But it's important to me that I have organic when it comes to vinegar 
because a lot of your vinegar, your white vinegar is made from corn or other grains that we don't like. (laughs) How's that? I want to make sure that my vinegar is GMO free. That's basically what I'm getting at there. Some of the other things that I made sure that we were well stocked on was our spice cabinet. Now, a lot of my herbs I can grow and do grow myself and replenish them. So rosemary and sage and mint and chive, garlic and onion, though I know those aren't technically an herb, but those are spices that we use. All of those I grow and produce here on the homestead and usually a year's worth. I don't really have to buy that from the store. If you're not growing those items, then you definitely garlic and onion. I use garlic and onion every day. Like it doesn't matter what I'm cooking and... (laughs) Pretty much in one way or another, I'm using both garlic and onion in a dish. If you're worried about shelf stability or perishables, then of course, dehydrated onion and garlic is a great way to go. And even though I do grow and we use really good storage varieties of our onion and garlic, so Copra and Patterson are some good storage onion varieties to grow. They'll store for a really long time. And then I do a red and chilium garlic which is a soft net garlic. Traditionally, soft net garlic has a longer storage shelf life than hard net garlic. So I've got that, but I do still use some garlic powder and onion powder too. But things that I can't grow on the homestead that I would definitely consider or I would consider a must-have are going to be things like, or I should say I don't grow chili peppers for chili powder. I grow jalapenos, but for some of those really hot peppers, our weather is not always conducive to it. And I don't really, I loved, I like chili powder, (laughs) not too hot, not too spicy, uh, but I don't at the moment grow, though it may be something I look into and seeing how it will grow here, some chili varieties to make my own chili powder. But I wanted to make sure spice wise that I had chili powder on hand in bulk. Cumin is another one, paprika, turmeric, and curry powder. So if I've got pretty much all of those spices plus the herbs that we already grow, I can pretty much flavor and make almost any dish that I want to. And for the majority of those spices, I like to keep a pound on hand. What I do is I just take a pint size, which is going to hold two cups worth. I keep a pint jar of those in my spice cabinet. So I like to have that full. And then I like to have a backup bag. (laughs) You're noticing a, a trend here, right? I like to have what I'm using. and I like that amount to be full. And then I like the backup bag behind it in order to refill it at least once without having to go to the store and purchase the item again. Now, when it comes to dairy items, we don't have a dairy animal. So I make my own yogurt and some of my soft cheeses, and I'm going to be learning to make hard cheese because we love cheese. But because we don't have a dairy animal, that's something that I have to purchase from the store. So we purchase milk and cream as well as cheese and of course, butter from the store. Now, butter and cheese freeze really well, but the cheese shredded cheese freezes really well. I have tried freezing cheese in block form before, and when it thaws out, if you want it to be crumbled, then that's fine. Thaw your two pound, one pound block of cheese, thaw it out, it'll crumble. But if you want to be able to slice it, it doesn't work very well. At least it didn't when I tried it. So I will freeze cheese, but only in the shredded form. Now the butter you can freeze and thaw out, and it's just great. You can freeze milk but I generally don't. I don't usually have that much space 
And so I would rather ferment it into yogurt. That's going to extend the shelf life in the fridge or turn it into a cheese because again, then you can freeze the cheese in the different forms or it will stay longer in the fridge than just the milk itself. So uh, we were buying, or I shouldn't say were, we are, we do uh, buy our milk and cream. And I know pretty much what we're going to go through in two weeks. So we've been trying to only go and replenish that every two to three weeks. And there's powdered milk that you can get if you're for baking um, and that type of thing, though I don't generally use that, but it was something we were looking at. But kind of like all your other staples, trying to find powdered forms of things was a little bit difficult to find. A lot of places were already sold out of those items. So if I know if I have got my flour source, my grain source, those fat sources and those seasonings because we already raise so much of our own fruits and vegetables and our own meat, we're pretty well set. But even if you just have those basics, you can turn that into so many different items and eat really well from your pantry, which is a new series. I'm going to be doing some sharing on that. If you're inside the Pioneering Today Academy, we're going to be sharing that, but I'll also be putting up some of those videos on YouTube as well. So if you're not following me there or subscribe to the YouTube channel, you may want to check that one out because I'll be doing some different cooking from the pantry and even home preserved items as well and how to turn those into uh, different meals and snacks and things to feed yourself and your family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I look forward to being back here with you next week. And if you've got questions or things you would like me to share on the podcast or topics, please do reach out to me. You can leave a review of the podcast, message me on social media, or shoot me an email. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.